Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. back on the things we say i'm sheldon and i'm nate and today on the podcast we have two guests with us uh you guys can introduce yourselves i'm nelson (laughs) and i'm his brother-in-law brad (laughs) wait no that's wrong i'm brad (laughs) and i'm his brother-in-law nelson yeah that's right no i'm his brother-in-law I already regret having (laughs) This is what the whole thing is going to be we're just going to sit here and let it happen who's on first (laughs) for an hour (laughs) I regret already having Nelson back on this podcast. <laughs> it's what you say every time, and yet, and yet, here you are, and yet here I am. But it's good to be here. We, we promised people that we would talk about uh, politics and government next time, so here we are. Who better? <laughs> Who better than me, and, than me and Sheldon to talk about government and politics? <laughs> yes. No input from either of you. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll just uh, riff on everything you say. We expect you to agree with us, mm-hmm. and yes. that is it. It's called and improv. Yes, and. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. And it's our yes. show. Welfare, yeah, good. Yeah, that's right. So, so I have to ask: uh, is is becoming the brother-in-law the thing that introduced you guys to each other, or did you know each other before that? Uh, well, we we met when I was dating uh, his sister. So, oh, you guys you, date? Oh, you were engaged. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, <laughs> Yeah, we just got engaged immediately. No, we met when you guys were already engaged because I was living in Latin America. Is that true? Yeah, really. I don't remember that. Yeah, like the first girl. I do remember the first time I before they got married. Really? Yeah. I yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess that does make sense. I completely forgot. And you got in trouble with uh, my sister because the first night we were all hanging out, (laughs) you made me laugh so much that I peed my pants. Yeah. The first time I met him, I was I'm still proud of that. Which to be honest, how long has that been since you last did that? Yeah. Well this afternoon. The goal the goal is <laughs> exactly. tonight. The goal is on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So oh go ahead, Did children. you know <laughs> Yes one of the main uh problems with cranberry harvesting that all people that work in cranberry harvesting have to deal with. And it's on the job interview that if you have a certain phobia, you can't be a cranberry harvester. Is it tryptophobia? What's that? Is that spiders? No, it's like when you get, when you get terrified duh. by like... Uh, terrified of cranberries, <laughs> specifically. Yes. That that would be oh. probably on there. No, it's not. No, that. it's like that, that, that when you're terrified of like uh, those holes? trippy images that are like holes matched together. And like oh, yeah. And stuff. Yeah. No, it's not that one. Yeah, that's a weird Sheldon? one. Tell us. It is arachnophobia. Mm-hmm. Oh. Because they flood the cranberry fields and the cranberries float to the top, then the wolf spiders climb on top oh. of the cranberries. Oh, and as you're raking the cranberries over, the, the spiders will go to the highest point, which is you. And they'll try to crawl <laughs> up you and up your hair and all of this. And it's on the job applications for most of these people. And they're That's very serious about it. And most of the applicants are like, yeah, 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 I'm good. 
until, until wolf spiders until they're on basically them. the Titanic right. tipped up on end and the things are rushing to the tip of it. You're like and a Marvel the, villain right. just covered in spiders. <laughs> You're the anti Spider Man. <laughs> You're man spider. Yeah, man spider. <laughs> That's an always sunny in Philadelphia yeah. reference. Yeah. <laughs> I'm man spider. <laughs> So that's a, a Thanksgiving tie-in as well. We're coming up to Thanksgiving, so you can just think uh, yeah, about that like when you're eating eating your yeah, cranberry yeah. sauce. Because uh, cranberry that somebody cranberries. without arachnophobia or maybe just oh man terribly terrified doing this for a job. Which Sheldon means you would not be a cranberry harvester. This is the last job I would take. Yeah, on yeah. the entire. Earth. They don't Sheldon... even put that on the packaging. No wolf spiders. You think that'd be like an advertising? If there is a spider in this room, I will be exiting this podcast very quickly. <laughs> Out, yeah. A goodbye. I, I think we're cold enough that we're not going to have that problem right now. Uh, good. Yeah. Also, uh, speaking of tie-ins, to, <laughs> like you're yeah. like, what do what do spiders have to do with Thanksgiving? Yeah, I'm kind of. So I showed up at <laughs> my slow. my in-laws' Easter gathering last year, and everything was decorated with dinosaurs, and each of the kids' tables had like a dinosaur display, and there was a volcano with actual like dry ice in it and all this. And I'm like, what is the tie-in? Because my mother-in-law is an artist and always does something different elaborate. with the table settings. And it's always elaborate. And it's some parts of it are usually edible. And so she creates these massive table center creations for Thanksgiving, Dioramas, for Christmas. Really? Yeah, I, I keep photos of these. But anyway, this <laughs> one was dinosaurs. <laughs> dinosaurs? Dinosaurs. Sours. Sours. For Easter. And I was sitting there eating till I figured it out. I'm like, oh, it's the eggs. It's the eggs. That's the tie-in. Yeah. It's the dinosaur <laughs> eggs. Dinosaurs have eggs. Easter has <laughs> eggs. And that was legitimately her tie-in. That's amazing. And I'm like, no one else, Respect. I'm convinced, no one else is tying dinosaurs <laughs> to Easter. You're the only person I know that pronounces it the same way as the DNA strand from Jurassic Dinosaurs. Park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, dinosaurs. I will admit something. I have no idea how to pronounce that word, and so I pronounce it differently every time, hoping that it's close. Dinosaur. Dinosaur? Dinosaur is, dinosaur is how I would say it. Now, is Whoa, that, that us pronouncing throat. it wrong? Dino like, dinosaur. Hopefully. Is it just dinosaur? every American or dinosaur? apparently Canadian I'm sure says it's, it wrong? I'm sure it's regional No, how it's pronounced. Ohio I've has never... the least regional diction, so we're objectively right. I'm not sure I believe dinosaurs exist. Nate doesn't think dinosaurs were no, 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 Have you no, ever no, no. seen a chicken? I'm not saying they I'm not saying they didn't. I said I'm not convinced that let me rephrase. I'm not convinced that what we're being told they are is actually what they are. Convince us of your theory. So my theory is... Are they cryptids? My theory... Possibly. Turns out they're Nephilim. No, no, no. (laughs) Giants. My theory theory is this. My theory is this. Is based entirely around what a skeleton of anything looks like. What a skeleton... We've totally lost Sheldon right now. (laughs) My theory is based on what a skeleton of anything looks like. Just by itself. Yeah, yeah, it's an estimation at best. And so we have basically drawn the shortest lines to what the externals of a dinosaur would look yeah, like right. based on the skull structure. And yeah. I'm like, this doesn't work for any other animal. No. If I've, you did this with a bear or a buffalo, you would end up with some weird, unholy creature. Yeah. So I don't know. And plus all the weird things that went on with like the paleontology wars when all of this stuff started, I just have a lot of 
questions. The nerdiest war in history. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of fakes. And well, the, the whole field of archaeology has been permeated with charlatans and people that right. have other m- motives in right. what they're doing. So, right. yeah. And and for me, it's just the, the oddness of the fact that we've never really found complete skeletons of these creatures. Even the biggest ones we have found are still incomplete. And it just kind of weirds me out that we're just filling in all of these gaps and saying, yeah, this is what it was or this is what it looked like. I'm like, there, I have so many questions and I don't feel like anybody has the answers that I am seeking in this. I think a lot of that, though, like I, th- this is my assumption. <laughs> yes. I have assumptions as well. Is that if you were to talk to a paleontologist, yes, they would word it like, this is a popular assumption about what this might look like. Yes. And that the average person's view on dinosaurs is kind of like the Sunday school teacher that doesn't really know any theology For sure. and is getting it all wrong. For sure. So uh, on the on the topic of paleontology and and uh, <laughs> not knowing what skeletons look like, in uh, 1663, uh, there was a, a fossilized skeleton discovered and recreated and put in a museum in Germany. And they call it the Magiburg Unicorn. Oh, yeah. I, I choose <laughs> yeah. to believe that that's real and that it's a cover-up. I, I think it's legit, right? That yes. seems legit. Yes. It looks like something that my four-year-old would make. The Smithsonian has a bunch of those. They're I, in the basement. I saw a rendering of what it might look like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's completely what you would expect, yeah. everyone. It's yeah, just right. Look it up. Ma- Magiburg Unicorn. Yes. Nailed it. But yeah, so I am one of those people that the more I've looked into it and the more I've even listened to paleontologists talk about it, I'm like, I don't think they take them all to this secret room like, here's the secret that, you know, it's not real. But... Well, as I'm just Carlin not sure. Said, I'm not sure that I accept that. What like the they do with aliens, is is. as George Carlin said, conspiracies aren't necessary when incentives align. Yes, yes, mm. yes. There's also just like conventional wisdom, right, and like kind of like cargo cult mentality that yeah. can happen yeah. in any profession. Yep. Where it's just you. Oh, someone in like that outranks you or whatever told you this, so you just don't question it. Right. And it just perpetuates. Right. And so I'm I'm yeah. suspicious of dinosaurs and what they actually were. Yeah, what do they have? To, I don't what trust are their real them. motives? <laughs> <laughs> but that's not why we're here. That's not why we're here at all. No, that is not why. Um, we're here. From dinosaurs to politics. Yes. The things we say. Politics. Based on the exactly. age of our politicians actually, that's completely <laughs> that's a appropriate. Tie-in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I Everything, thought that was hack, every, but Brad really laughed. So <laughs> I thought it was funny. I liked it. Everything we do in America, we do to a hundred. We drive at a hundred miles an hour. I like a good dad. Joke. It gets <laughs> up to a hundred degrees. You know, it's hot. Love some good boomer. We let all our, our politicians yeah, are a hundred. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so one of the things that we were going to talk about today was Christian anarchism and uh, maybe some Christian nationalism. If we get into that, but just different ways of forming government uh, that are described biblically. And so we just wanted to talk a little bit more about it because we like to talk about those kinds of things on this podcast. And so as I understand it, the two of you enjoy uh, talking, debating about Christian uh, anarchism and what that is, because I've spent a lot of time talking to Nelson about this and Nate describes Nelson's views as idealistic, and so I... Nelson also <laughs> describes his views as idealistic. <laughs> and so... And but you are not an idealist. 
No, I'm deeply cynical. Yes, you are, which is the interesting <laughs> thing. And so because Same, it actually. touches on the Bible and politics, we thought it'd be fun to discuss on here and, and just, um, yeah. Yeah. To bring Nelson, one of our most irreverent guests. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that was a compliment, by the way. <laughs> that was an intentional compliment for you. So, we don't really know where to begin on this because we've not done the deep dive. So, well, there's no rules. That's yeah, right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So, do we need to do we need to create some rules here? Is that what we need to do? As long as we all voluntarily consent. That's right. So, I'm not. Let's not, let's start with preconceptions right. and misconceptions. So, I want. I w- Sheldon, can you, to our audience, articulate your understanding of what my views are? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, oh, what great. Christian, Here we go. Maybe what, what Christian, Christian anarchism, anarchism would be. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So there, there is some confusion as to why what, what uh, founding principles are, are in place in the American Constitution to begin with. And it says that these things are derived from our creator. Yeah, and and natural, and law. natural yes. law, and so I would assume that Christian anarchism is trying to tie into those um, more classically liberal principles of self governance, freedom, um, the the minimalized decentralized state, if there is one at all. Um, but what I've always been a little bit murky on is where we derive that from Scripture. The biblical and justification. One of the problems with it is that Scripture was written over thousands of years and in several different cultures, but in Mosaic Law was dropped into a culture that was quite a bit different than uh, Second Temple Judaism, yeah, which is where Jesus shows up. And Second Temple Judaism is in a culture, and all of all of what Jesus says and what Paul says and what the early church was talking about was all under the oppression of Rome, and so they are largely Jewish people talking about relationship to a government that they did not participate in. That is particularly pagan. And yes. some of the other passages that are used, but, but they did have the right to participate in. Some some of the other passages that are used when it comes to governance are directed at the Sanhedrin and the Jewish right. uh, religious govern, government. Yes, and so Which when it comes when it comes to grabbing scriptural backing for our modern context, I feel like for me, I I think it's difficult sometimes to do that. <clears throat> while still keeping in mind the context in which these things were said and sure, written. Sure. So getting to those deeper principles biblically, I think is important and, and a difficult process to yeah. do. It's the yeah. most so important. I have not I have not <clears throat> completely articulated what I believe your viewpoint is. Sure. But I believe it's founded in classical liberalism and, and self governance and True. all of that. I would like to learn more in this podcast how we tie any of our viewpoints regarding government back to scripture yeah. and scriptural principles. That's why I brought Brad. <laughs> I'm, I'm really good at articulating philosophical arguments, making historical arguments, uh, and, and all that stuff. Uh, Brad has a much better memory of scripture than I do. 
So thanks. And, and, and to, be, <laughs> to be clear, one of the reasons we want to do this and that I feel like the exercise is important for people is your ideas about government and how you participate in society and even how you behave um, just in, in, your, in your town, in your state, in all of that, how you relate to politics or news when you hear it should be founded in biblical principles of some kind. So even if you don't end up landing where Nelson does or where Brad does or where I land or where Nate lands, I think it is important for you to go back and and do some of the hard work that I'm going to ask you guys to do and going back and tying these things into biblical principles and bringing it forward into our modern context. Because I do feel like those principles are timeless. We're being taught something. What is that? And... uh yeah. Did you have thoughts as we were going there, Nate? Looks like there was something I'm, you wanted I'm to just say. Very, I'm just very interested in where you guys are going to where you guys are going to go with this. I'm, yeah. Uh, and, and I will just give my own, you know, I guess we could talk a little bit political biases because you guys are going to run on that. We've talked about it before, but just for what it's worth, um, I am I, I have always been in the Republican vein my whole life. Um, but I would describe myself now as uh, fiercely libertarian. Um mm-hmm. And I don't mean that just in the sense that I think smoking pot would be cool for everybody, and what you know the, that for everybody. literally, but literally, my I do know some people that no, I'm like, is. you need to take the edge off in some way, and this uh, might be helpful for you. But also, but, and, and but as a pastor, I would not advise that. No, I know that's <laughs> and also it's been documented that uh, marijuana in a very, very, very small portion of people does uh, cause psychosis. Yes, and with full legalization. Diagnosing that ahead of time, I think, would be found pretty quickly. Uh, there's, right. there's plenty of things that it's detrimental for. But my, but, yeah. my basic political philosophy, when I look at politicians, when I look at people I'm voting for or not voting for, my bare bones is who is going to leave us the most alone? Yeah. And I don't mean leave me the most alone. No. I mean collectively, Everyone, yeah. as Americans, as citizens of this nation, who will leave us the most alone and just let us live our lives and be who we are? Yeah. And, and I'm not as far down the road in uh, libertarianism as probably everybody else at this table. <laughs> yes. And and I'm I'm a little bit more. I see a purpose in government. I would like a small federal government yes. where if somebody says I serve in the federal government, we all kind of feel a little sorry for them. <laughs> that's that's what I would prefer. The key word being serve. Yeah, you mean and, yeah. yeah, exactly. I I phrased that apologize. like I wanted to. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> apologize, but I do see the purpose in a fairly uh, uh, strong, not strong in like heavy handed, but n- not a weak state. Yeah, you government. want like a Mussolini like a, type, a, no. lo- <laughs> a local state like Ohio. You want a night watch? I, I would like state. to see Ohio being strong. I would like to see our towns like. <laughs> People having a voice, stepping up and speaking up, that kind of thing. So I would like the things that impact us most to have the most say in. So like the local level for me, I think is important. And and largely what I usually advise people is let's not get so distracted by, first of all, world politics. There's very little you can do anything about um, other than pray and seek the Lord's will in in those situations. But as far as what I can influence... Local stuff is where we need to uh, bring For our sure. influence, bring our Be voice. Concerned. And state state stuff, to a certain extent, there are, there are people that in our local uh, that are within our influence that have influence at the state level, yeah. which is good. Um, but I think as soon as it gets to the federal level, there's very little I can do 
um, regarding anything with federal law. So, yeah. Sheldon, um, um, so w- um, would you say, what would you say you believe that the sort of um, appropriate sphere of government is like, like just defense, you know, like, like providing police courts, that kind of thing. And yeah. Nothing, I definitely nothing else. see a role for police. Um, at, yes, a, okay. a role for police, but where self-defense is, is robust. I feel like there's sure. less need for as many police. Um, but there are some complexities to an urbanized culture that do require, uh, yeah. government at a certain level. And I well, think, I yeah. think that's, so I think I'm, that's yeah. good. And well, I'm more and, asking like, you, you don't believe, like your view is not that the government is there to like provide things. No, like, no. Like welfare I, programs. Like it's, you have a, you have a minarchist kind of, I view, would say, right? I would say defense is important. Yeah. Uh, he has a very borders. narrow allowance for socialism, which is just police courts. <laughs> I didn't and say defense borders, <laughs> borders, uh, you know, I'm just protecting, protecting life yeah. and property. And, and I think in general upholding law, yeah. um, is, is what those, those things should, should do i i do believe in in like good law jurisprudence like there should be a law system that works for people yeah Yeah. um i don't i don't feel like it should be a racket like it seems to be but yeah i the reason i ask that is i was exactly in that place for many many years until honestly i give this credit to nelson largely on this (laughs) beating that out of me (laughs) can we not have nelson be right (laughs) Um, no i'm just kidding no yeah i don't think so i've checked Yeah, I mean, there were definitely like certainly like world events and things like that too that that sort of opened my eyes to the nature of these things too. Right. But yeah, I mean, I I was there for a long time, so I'm very sympathetic to that kind of right. minarchistic view. Right. Um, but yeah, I think just for me over over the years um, and over time, I've just become sort of disillusioned that yeah. even that's workable or or necessarily. Well, I, and largely, yeah. I would say that I think Californians should be able to create the kind of government that they feel suits them, and we should be able to do the same in Ohio. And if ours is working better than theirs, then people would move yeah. to ours. And if theirs is working better than ours, I think people would move there. So would you support think- like a national divorce kind of thing? <laughs> For I, real, uh, I mean that's essentially. What I you think you're big into the right? federalism aspect of right of what a, tenth, we're supposed to be right. set up as tenth amendment, yeah. right? And honestly, Sheldon, if we had the sort of government that you would prefer, I feel like it's constitutional. Is what I I, I want to be sure. as constitutional as possible. I don't want to go back and undo the constitution. I or, or like. The federal government. I, I still want a federal government. Yeah. But okay. not. So if one, we, if we, I had would like that, the states to have more say. I guess okay. that I that's helpful. Say. If okay. we had that, I'd have very little to complain about. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Yeah. Right. And, but and how do you get to Christian position. anarchism then? If, yeah. If it say say it was like that. What if we're just like I don't know. <laughs> you're like, you know, I haven't considered wait, that. That's wait, wait, we're you talking about what? Be even better if there was no government. Yeah. Uh, so I'm further down that road than Brad, but not by much. Um, most of my arguments come back to uh, philosophical and, and, as you mentioned, classical uh, liberalism. Uh, basically, if decentralization is preferable in any industry, why? What about any given industry makes it not preferable? Mm. If centralization of power is not preferable in any given industry, what is it about an industry that makes it preferable? Uh, 
Hans Hermann Hoppe, Murray Rothbard, and uh, Bob Murphy have all written extensively on how you could have decentralized law, decentralized uh, defense, David and policing. Friedman, too. David Friedman as well. Uh, Brad, before this, cautioned me against dropping a bunch of names in books because that's what we anarchists tend to do, <laughs> uh, and instead try to appeal more to scriptural arguments. Right. And uh, so with that, I actually want to turn it over to Brad. Brad, <laughs> okay, dig me out of this hole. <laughs> dig you out of the hole. Okay, so so the question is like, how how would what would be kind of our go-to to justify right. the position of Christian anarchism? I'm saying, okay, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're skipping one very important thing. <laughs> okay. Sure. We have had these discussions off mic before. Yeah. So I would like a definitive, in as much as you can, quick encapsulation. When you say Christian anarchism, very what is it that you would look at and say, this is what I think. When I call you an idealist, what is the thing you're telling me? Maybe sure. we should both should answer because we might have slightly yes. different – because you don't speak for me. <laughs> <laughs> there is no we here. You yes. have no leader. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, sure, yeah, I'll go. I'll go. Um, so <laughs> uh, for me, I would, I would say um, my view of anarchism, uh, Christian anarchism, is uh, more – it's sort of re- rooted in consistent – what I see as consistent application of biblical principles mm-hmm. as well as um, the biblical witness of sort of the, the – initiation of government, right? Monopolistic government, yeah, okay, right? Okay. So, you know, you have your your pre-king era yep. of, of, of... Just the judges. The and, or the judges, and, yeah. right? It was essentially an anarchistic society, right? I mean, there was, there was governance, but it was not a sovereign over right. the people. In right? those days, there was yeah. no king, and they so people did what, did what was right, was right in their own, own eyes. Yeah. yeah. So... Not a good time. <laughs> well, yeah, sure, but um, we'll get, we'll get to that. It's not, it's not necessarily framed as a good thing either, right? And, and that's not necessarily because yeah. of the structure None of it. It's because of the great. it's because of the wickedness of man's heart. Right, right, right. It's it. There's no getting around that, unfortunately. Right. Like in any system, but this is why I find human corruption will corrupt right. anything. But this is why I find yeah. your stance fascinating because you're both Calvinists. Yeah. Well, Which you're I'm very, Calvinish. very Calvinist. Calvinist. Yeah. Calvinist. I am. I would call myself a high Calvinist. Yeah. So I'm like. Hardcore. But this is this is why yeah. I find and it I'm so sober. fascinating that you've landed there. But anyway, <laughs> we'll get okay. there. Go ahead. I go have. Ahead. I have. Go ahead. I have. Sense. And so, and I have. Um, I have thoughts on that as it relates. Yeah, absolutely, to this absolutely. But now, so um, if you look at like you know, and Nelson will probably bring this up too. But if you look at like First Samuel eight, when mm-hmm. when um, Israel starts begging for a king, and Samuel is like. You know, really distraught over it. Why are they rejecting my prophet? You right, know, prophecy right. and all that. Um, God says that you. They're not asking for a king because they're rejecting you. It's because rejecting they're rejecting me. me mm-hmm, right. Yeah. So, um, to me, that signals that the desire to be ruled over by a king other than Christ or other than God is a form of idolatry. Okay. Right? It is a rejection of God, um, and or you know of God's of God's um, headship. I yeah, guess, right. Yeah, if you're that. looking at kind of like a federal kind of way, like well, and that, particularly right? because of the covenant that was laid out with Israel, what was right. what was to be with them as His covenant, and people. that was always the covenant was, "I will be your God, you will be my people." Like, yeah. like you obey my commandments, you'll be blessed in the land, right? Yeah. Like, um, so you know, th- that's the ideal. That's what God initially, um, you know, initially gave to to Moses, you know, and all yeah. that was these commandments. You are, you know, that was. Uh, a true theocracy in like the proper yep. sense of the word, literally governed by God. Right. Right. Like theocracy these days is, is sort of like seen as 
governance by the gover- church, governed or, by the church yeah. or priest class. Yep. That's not like the term itself means, you know, uh, and what theocracy, was, God, right. Rule. right, right. What was Moses' main problem immediately? Uh, it was Israel like, judging people, <laughs> administrative yeah. issues. Yeah, it was he difficult. Immediately yeah. had this yes. problem. So, but w- and how did he solve yeah. it? Decentralization. <laughs> well, he created somewhat of a hierarchy. Yeah, there so, were okay. lower level judges. Technically, and, his father in law suggested a hierarchy. So, is yes. that getting into? So, anyway, uh, yeah, we'll get off this the week. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I'm still going. Yeah, go, go, go ahead, Brad. Go ahead, Brad. Well, oh, I, yeah, I'm still going. Yeah. So we don't do, we don't reject hierarchies. There right. are some yes. forms of anarchists like, like that do right. The more lefty anarchists typically uh, would just mad reject all hierarchy. It's absurd. I think it's completely. I don't absurd. think Emma Goldman never saw a skateboard. M- Emma, M S Goldman. Emma Goldman. You said M S Goldman. Oh, multiple sclerosis <laughs> Goldman. Yeah. I knew that guy. She Microsoft, Microsoft Goldman. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's so you know that's sort of where a, a big founding uh, principle is the you know just look at the origin of government and what God says about it, mm-hmm. and He says when you're given a king. This is what he'll do. He'll take your sons for for soldiers. He'll right. enslave your people. He'll, you know, and that's what every, essentially every ruler throughout history has done. Right. In some form has enslaved the people, um, you know, stolen from them. You know, you, it says use your daughters, um, you know, for, for work, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, use your sons for chariot, um, all that. So... And take a tenth of all your and wealth. take yeah take a tenth of all your wealth taxation. Um, he will take nice the best fields and vineyards and give them to his own servants. Right. He will demand a tenth of your seed and the produce. Which of Which is vineyards. an interesting parallel to the the tithe, the tithe right, right? Of God taking ten percent, right? Right. It, it's like a direct form of of that parallel, right? right. The, the king trying to be like God in, in a sense. Oh, for the days in which the king would only take ten percent. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what happened to us uh, starting a war over a 2% increase in tax? Uh-huh. Um, no, because but, they felt it. So there's, there's a lot of, you know, anarchism is a very, because it's not um, centralized, there are a lot of different forms of it. You know, there's yeah. a lot of different views. There's revolutionary kind of anarchists. That is not me. Yeah. I don't believe in, in revolution, uh, especially violent revolution. Even me, I'm not even that particularly concerned about um even like social change or anything like that i mean it's nice you know influencing people is great that's not really my goal my goal uh, as a christian is the most important and that's the spreading of the gospel Mm -hmm. right Right. and that's not like you know the christ's kingdom is not of this world it's not built by political means it's right it's built on faith right Right. faith comes through hearing the word of god are you saying more of two kingdoms philosophy when it comes to? No, I no, not really because it's more the one the, kingdom. <laughs> the political yeah. philosophy term for where he sits is more agorism, uh, which is a a kind of like a subset of anarchism where you use gray markets and black markets to undermine well, the so state. Well, so I, I wouldn't and even you kind go of ignore the two government. two things. I would not go that far for two reasons. Not not that far, but I wouldn't say that for two reasons. One. Um, because they're listening. Two, <laughs> um, again, like I said, it's my goal is not necessarily changing society. That's kind of the goal of agorism, is to undermine the state in order to affect, you know, political change. Social or, change, yeah. That's not necessarily like, you know, Christ's kingdom is is the ultimate um, the ultimate goal and the spreading yeah. and establishment of that. Right. Um, 
And there's there's other things, you know, I could get into, like, like consistent application of principles, like, uh, you know, where, where God calls it an abomination to, um, to use unequal weights and measures. Right. Right? And so, essentially, double standards, right? Right. Who, um, who on earth does not have a double standard uh, when they look at individual action versus the state and their actions, yeah, right? Like right. If you murdered someone, everyone would judge you. Right. But if the state goes and murders someone overseas... People are just like, eh. No, well, that's what the government's for. If anything, yeah. they, they, they applaud it. They applaud it, yeah. Right? And I, I, God calls that an abomination. Right. So, so what we would say then is, yeah. if, if I can encapsulate what you're telling us, mm-hmm. is that you come back to the basis of... You look at Scripture, you see what it informs you about what government is and isn't, what what God's design for sure. the governance of humanity is, and you say, this is what I'm looking at, and this is where my Christian anarchism comes from, Yes, is out of those principles, and a that rejection turns, yeah. of the governments that have developed out of the corruption of that. Yeah, and I should clarify, so I mentioned this a little bit beforehand, but my position, like my theological position, I'm a Reformed Baptist. Um, so being reformed, uh, you know, I come really heavily out of the, the sort of, you know, tradition of like five solas, particularly sola scriptura, right. In that, in this conversation. Right. Um, so to me, properly exegeting scripture is paramount. It, you know, I don't want to read this view into the text. I want to draw my views out of the text and this is, I can't get past, I, I, there are certain things in the text that I cannot get past in terms of their consistency, the consistent application yeah, of them. absolutely. Right. right, so the double standards thing is one. The, uh, you know, we could go into a bunch there. Some are escaping me <laughs> yeah. right no, now. That's, but that's, that's both though. of them. That's helpful. Yeah. All right, Nelson. Yeah, so I kind of came to Christian anarchism through the philosophical route, becoming first convinced of anarchism while continuing to be a Christian, and then uh, seeing that as a consistent application of what I was seeing in Scripture, and it clarified and, and helped me understand things that always uh, I had always struggled with. Right. So now this has been a, a journey for you, but this is a lot of this is more recent revelation for you, relatively speaking. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't love the word revelation for. But yeah, uh, it's over the last few years. God spoke to you. And yeah. Told you. Yeah. In a dream. Ah, uh, uh, yes. The sensitivities. <laughs> to a rep modern revelation. Yes. Yeah. Uh, really, we should write this down. It's a new book in the Bible. <laughs> but it is fairly recent, and I can even yeah. I, I would say that even based on the times you have been on the podcast previously. Oh, for sure. And some of the political thoughts that you've had, this is very different than some of the initial things that yeah. we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, I, I was very political through high school, and my faith really took a backseat to my politics. Mm. And I didn't like that Yeah, because I saw so often where my politics were in direct conflict with my faith, and I was just kind of hand-waving it, and I, I didn't like that. Yeah, I, I wanted something better. So I put my politics aside, and I was like, I'm going to understand my faith and really dive in. I, I did uh, disaster relief with a, uh, a Christian organization for a few years and really ignored politics until I moved back to the States. And when I came back to the States, I started getting back into politics, and I realized, okay, of the people talking, the views that kind of best reflect where I see the world to be, how I understand the world, based on what I see in Scripture, are kind of the conservative libertarians. Yeah. And so I kind of dove in. You know, I was listening to Shapiro and Crowder, and I found a lot of inconsistencies again, and Uh that frustrated me. I'm like, okay, well, I put my politics aside and focused on my faith, and now I've come back, and it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And through 
understanding that it was the libertarian part of the libertarian conservatives that best spoke to me and that where they were inconsistent, it's because they weren't libertarian enough. Yeah. And just constantly chasing that down to the nth degree yep. brought me to a subset of anarchism known as anarcho-capitalism. Yeah. As Brad mentioned, not all anarchists are see the world the way we do. Not all anarchists value uh, property rights. Not all anarchists think property rights even exist. Right. Uh, we believe that this is the most consistent application of natural law, and that natural law is, as it says in, in Scripture, you know, the laws of God are written on the heart of man. You can't escape it. Yeah. And so good... Uh, when a state has good laws, it's because those laws accurately reflect the heart of God. Yep. And any law that's a bad law doesn't accurately reflect the heart of God. Yes. It's, it actually reminds me of a... There's an old John Owen quote uh, speaking about uh, revelation, mm-hmm. like revelations, like kind of the what book. we were just talking about. Or the book or revelation. No, like, like Nelson having a dream that yes. God talked to him kind Got of thing. It. Um, he, he says, um, essentially, I, I can't speak John Owenese because, you know, he's wild. Yes. Or, yeah. But um, essentially the argument is if a revelation um, disagrees with God's word, it's false. And if it agrees with it, it's irrelevant or it's redundant. You don't mm-hmm. need it because God's word's already spoken that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of that similar concept. Yeah. Yeah. And. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> I, I hear that, and I disagree. Yes, yeah, so and I good. disagree as well, but that's fine. <laughs> and we're good. So, that, so then chasing that down into anarcho-capitalism, uh, then you know, I I'm I'm wonky. I I want to understand how things are going to work in this theoretical society. So I I was reading a lot. I still read a lot of this just theoretical stuff. And Brad was really challenging me. Uh, on the theological side of it. How do, how do you square this with X? How do you square this with Y? This doesn't make sense given such scripture. And so then I started chasing down uh, specifically Christian anarchists who are answering these questions. <clears throat> there's some that are really good, but because anarchism is such a wide umbrella, there's some of them that are just like, well, you know, Jesus fed the 5,000, so you should uh, for, ignore private property rights and just feed people. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, well, that, that you mean that. commies. That yeah. was right. the point of that. Yeah, yeah. that's true. It's kind of like the, the church in Jerusalem having everything in common, and people are like, see, they were communism. They were socialists. Yeah, yeah. and then <laughs> some of them were eating the more than jack. others, and some of them were drinking more than others, and they had to be called out for it. And one of the first. <laughs> First times anybody got all the churches together to send aid, it was to the church in Jerusalem because <laughs> yeah. things were not going yeah. well. Yeah, it was essentially a gulag at that point. <laughs> <laughs> the commune, if you look just a little bit further in Acts, is not working out as well. It did well not as, work out. Yes, and and kind of tying back to the the John Owen quote, uh, an economics model, if it works, right? If it if it drives prosperity and human wealth better than others, then that's more true. It's a more true economic model. Okay. Okay. And so as I started to digest it more in economics, there's a specific school of economics called Austrian economics out of which libertarianism and anarcho-capitalism. Which I'm on board with. I love Austrian economics. Yeah. You just don't like the part where they apply it consistently. No, I like that. <laughs> I would, I would be all for. I apologize for bringing my brother-in-law market. here and introducing. Free market you to. is good. Yes. Yeah, we are. Uh, that's one thing I will say. We agree one hundred percent. We are both diehard free market yeah. capitalists. Yeah, I, know. Did, I just we did a Sheldon, whole episode. You know, I can't on not why we're capitalists. Yes, yeah. we did do that whole episode. Yeah. I don't know you well enough to make fun of you. <laughs> you um, can make fun. Of I can't okay. not. I can't Nerd. not pounce on Sheldon. Uh, 
And, and so, you know, since scripture clearly <laughs> upholds property rights, uh, then property rights therefore exist. And what what school of economics is best applying property rights most consistently? And I, I, in my opinion, it's Austrian economics. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, well, th- this is most right, and it should reflect scripture. And the more I looked, the more I found that, yes, yes, it does. Mm. So I, I kind of came backwards into it, uh, and largely from, from Brad's prompting and pushing. Some of the things that we hear a lot about are, you know, Romans 12. Um, 13. Yeah, no. sorry. Yes. Yeah, it's no, just because I always... Stuff. No, <laughs> okay, just yeah. I'll read it real yeah. quick. Romans 13, 1 and 2 from the uh, NIV. Actually, please NIV. start with the last bit of Romans 12. All right, then I'm going to have to grab it, my Bible. What Romans 13 says has a lot to do with what Romans 12 just said. Wait, what? But there's chapter markers. <laughs> <laughs> New thought. It's almost like the chapter markers yeah. weren't in there. We're so, I actually, I have a Bible that has all the chapter and verse references taken out. It's great. Yeah. He's just okay. I've right. heard so, about those. Reader's yeah. Bible, yeah. You're talking about the end of Romans 12? Yeah. And uh, then going into 13? Go back, to, go, scroll up till you see the last, like, uh, little header. Oh, wow. Conduct in love. Or Genesis can, 1. <laughs> what version would you prefer? In whatever one you prefer to read out of. Okay. I'm sorry. Greek. It's going to sound different to all of you, because the one I prefer to read in is the N-E-T. I I enjoy it because it tells me, like, why they translated words the way they did. Very familiar. Okay. It's it's a good one. Um, Check it out. So the N-E-T is good. Uh, You want all of Romans 12, 9, all the way through to the end? Okay. Yes. Punishing you. All right. I'm going to do Romans 12, 19. All right, fine. Okay, Romans 12, 19, do not avenge yourselves, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except by God's appointment. And the authorities that exist have been instituted by God. So the person who resists such authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers cause no fear for good conduct, but for bad. Do you desire not to fear authority? Do good, and you will receive its condemnation. uh, Commendation, not condemnation. (laughs) For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be in fear, for it does not bear the sword in vain. It is God's servant to administer retribution on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of the wrath of authorities, but also because of your conscience. For this reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants devoted to governing. Pay everyone what is owed, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, Respect to whom respect is due, and honor to whom honor is due. And then it goes on to say, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And then it goes, continues Amen. on. Is that good? That's great. Amen. Yes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right. So the, the, if you go further back through chapter 12, it's, it mirrors the Beatitudes with increasing calls to uh, love on those that persecute you. Yes. Okay. Uh, and w- at the chapter break, this is not a new idea. Like th- he's been building up to this, mm. right? So all of thirteen is in light of the fact that we are 
experiencing oppression by the Roman authorities. Right. All of this. It had a specific context. That's right. I do not believe that, you know, violent overthrow, like some anarchists believe, that violent overthrow of government is legitimate. I don't. I agree. I I, th- I, I, I certainly, I can't square that with anarchists. Even trying to resist the government in most, in a lot of situations, like based on what this is saying, right? Like, you know, unless they're telling you to sin or something else, right? But, right. Yeah. Like, I can't square that with my Christianity, and I can't even square it with anarchism. Yeah, okay? the person that resists that authority resists the ordinance of God. Right. Correct. Now, and you'll incur judgment. Right. Yeah. Now, so I'm going to get real Calvinisty when when I start talking about my take on that. But go I ahead. mean, I can I can pull it out of the ESV if that's better. But that's fine. <laughs> no, that that translation. It's was, not going to be fine. much no, different no matter where yeah, you go it was, with it. it was fine. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 going to be very similar regardless. <clears throat> very clear. And so, uh, you know, when it talks about how uh, this is why we pay taxes because the governors provide a service and we and people who are providing a service deserve to be paid for those services right. don't owe anyone anything well in anarcho capitalist thought you know you decentralize that governance model that's what we saw in israel before the monarchy you would go to a priest to get your decision made okay yeah. uh, the 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 network of judges was a hierarchy of judges basically the least expensive if it's if it looks like anarcho-capitalist uh legal theory basically the least expensive judges are probably the least reputable because the the judges who have the reputation of making the best judgments are going to be the ones that more can, sought after are going to be more sought after <laughs> it's also just going to increase efficiencies and all those things better call Saul. <laughs> and, and if that judge can't can't make a decision on the matter that judge took it to a more reputable judge that's what we saw in in Israel. Yeah. You'd start with the lower level judges and you work your way up to eventually the priest, the head priest decides if it gets all the way up there. Yeah. We didn't, that I know of, it doesn't give us any indication of how often the chief priest actually was making decisions. Right. And, and, and by the time we get to Eli, not a lot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so in, in that sense, ultimately pre-monarchical Israel was a theocratic state. Right. But it was it, it was so decentralized, and the decision making power was so spread out, and the markets of defense and policing and judges and all that stuff was so um, non centralized, decentralized. Mm-hmm. It looks nothing like what we think of as a state today. Yeah. So if we had that, you know, that that's my ideal society. Is this is a decentralized system of of judges of like just a step above tribalism. Uh, no, you can get way past tribalism with these institutions. Okay. Like you, we could have basically our modern societies without these, w- without centralized institutions. You'd have this the is, roads built. You'd have police force. Yeah. I have questions, but I don't know if this is the time for questions. And so when okay. it talks about. Maybe it's more of a statement. And so when it talks about, you know, pay these people what they're due. Anybody who governs is a governor. That does not have to be a centralized service. Fair enough. Okay, I okay. see. And so, just from a philosophical argument, that nothing in 13 necessitates a state. Okay. We we see it in the lens of state because that's what that's we're what familiar we understand. with. Okay. Got but it. nothing in Chapter 13 specifically necessitates centralization of all these uh, responsibilities. Yes. So that's... You know, in light of well, what it certainly wasn't an endorsement of the Roman state. Of, no, no, absolutely not. not. So, in light of what's being said in twelve, in light of the context of the writer, and in light of what's actually said in thirteen, 
I don't think that any of that necessarily proves that a state is necessary. Well, And now right. Brad's going to take from here and make some other arguments. Yeah. So what you just said, Shelton, was pivotal, right? That, that the Roman state under which Paul wrote that was right. one of the most vile in human history. Right? Which he was a citizen ungodly, of. Ungodly, right? He's telling people to So at the time they had a Caesar, right? They, yeah. Caesar. So they would have had yeah. a Caesar and I'm then there to think was a vassal that, king. That over. might have been Nero's era by that time. This is this was, was pre-Nero. A little bit before, just before yeah. Nero. Just before yeah. Nero. Yeah. Right. Uh, but still, Caesar. AD 70 happened. Caesar at this Nero. point is still demanding that Christians call, you know, say, bow to him and say he's God, essentially. Yeah. Right? So um, I, I'm going to call a couple couple texts out here, but uh, essentially my, my view of Romans 13 and what this is saying is it's not saying um, that the governing authorities per se are good or holy. It's that God is using them for his right. good ends, right? Mm-hmm. The, the um, God works all things towards uh, for yeah, the good of those who love him, um, right? So God uses uh, crooked crooked, vile, evil means to accomplish good ends, right? We see that all throughout Scripture. We, um, I'm going to bring up Hebrews 12, uh, 3 through something. It says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary, faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, but if you forgot the exhortation uh, that addresses you as sons... By the way, the, he's talking to the Hebrews here who are being persecuted. Right. This is his point. He's, they're being persecuted. This is what he's saying to comfort them in light of that. Right. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure persecution here. Uh, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there? Sorry, you got a notification. <laughs> What son is there uh, for whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate tr- children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not be much more subject to the father of spirits and live? Uh, for they, I'm going to just read through the rest of this. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but rather yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So here Amen. it's saying, it, essentially what the author of Hebrews, whoever it is, um, is, is <clears throat> saying that the, the acts of these, these men who hate God, hate God's people, um, are being used as an instrument of discipline by God. Right for the growth of his people, right mm. for for their increase in holiness, their their perseverance, etc. Um, you know, a similar point is made by by Peter in his first address, address after Pentecost. Right, yeah. right in Acts two, um, he says, "You're you know um, by God's hand, all these people gathered together against your servant Jesus mm. and crucified the Lord of glory, glory, glory." <laughs> Sounds okay. uh, By the definite plan. It says, by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, right? Right. So th- this is how I'm getting uber Calvinist here. Right, right. Um, yeah, essentially, so how I understand Romans 13, and this took me forever, right? Yeah. Because the plain reading it's seems to just though. be like yeah. government good. Right. Right, that's kind of like, it right. really seems like that. But if you look at it in the context of what he said, the social, the um, current context of the day, it's Rome. Yeah. <laughs> like, Caesar is 
horrible. All the Roman emperors and governors, awful. Um, <coughs> clearly, they are not upholding God's law. And right, you'd also, right. if that's going to be your take, you have to consistently apply that throughout history. That means that it's true of Hitler, it's true of Mussolini, it's true of Mao, and and, and that Stalin. Sta- yeah, like, and that starts to not square with exactly what it said. Like these right. are not in like. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and essentially, you if if you're gonna take that line, you have to almost like say consistently that it's impossible for a governing authority to even sin, right? Like because you can't possibly not do God's will, and that's not how it works. You know, even so, even with God's sovereignty, right? Right. Like we still have uh, God's precepts, right? His prescriptive will. He tells us. He's told us His law, and we are to obey it even if he has a secret sort of will, and this is, I know, deep, deeper theo- theological right, yes. stuff here, but right. he has, he has a, his own um, divine providence that's hidden from us, his, right. his will that governs you know, the scope of history that does include things that are, you know, we see as awful you know, and are in many, in many right. ways awful. Which, again, and this is where we will have, but we, it's will for have our a, good. we will have a yeah. fork in the road as to, as to what these things are and totally. how they operate. I will push but, back. But with, also, hang on. I don't think that fork precludes Christian anarchism. No, no, I don't believe so either. Yeah. No, but I Probably need to. Can't. I need to give you some pushback on totally. on what you're saying here. My my reasoning being to connect the discipline that that Paul is talking about. Well, we'll say it's Paul, but as you say, whoever wrote sure. Hebrews, to to say that this discipline is coming through the government mm-hmm. leaves an implication. Yeah. That. God was disciplining Christ by what happened to him. Because the first thing that they're doing is holding up Christ as the example of if this happened to Christ and you have not gone this far yet. Yes. Well, then, oh, no, wait, 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 wait. Okay, sorry. Let me finish my thought. Sorry, I'm sorry. So here's my thing to connect those things completely gets tangled up into what was God doing to Christ. Sure. And that to me becomes a little problematic mm-hmm. because, again, Christ was not just a passive actor. He was an active in what he was an active yeah. participant in what was happening. Right. And so to me, I feel like those things, even though they're in proximity to each other, I don't believe that the writer of Hebrews was was linking them in that moment exactly. I think he was talking about well, two different yeah. aspects and and having to do with their persecution. I will I will say so aside from the, the government angle of this Because the early church was not solely persecuted by the government. They were also right. persecuted sure, by, yeah. the, by, by other Jews, Jews and, and yeah, yeah, religious all leaders. All the yeah. mm-hmm. there, there was multiple levels of persecution. Social, Some of it was so, yeah, social, social, familial, societal. all the things. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. I, I will say, though, so right. the writer of Hebrews, I believe, does connect that earlier in the book, in the second chapter, mm. where he says Christ was made like his brothers in every respect. Yeah. Right? So, um, it, you know, essentially, I, I assume you guys believe in... in like a substitutionary view of atonement, right? Is, is that no, correct? That no, that would not be, purely. Okay. No, so not, I do. not purely. We believe we, that is a mode of atonement, but we, what, we believe there's what, what other... Would you guys our say view of atonement is broader than yeah. substitutionary. It, it, would okay. inc- it would include substitutionary, Christus right. Victor. Christus Victor there's okay. all the, uh, but we look at all of these as facets okay. that, that the, the writers of Scripture used to describe what happened at the atonement. Right. You, that it's not just have, singularly one or the other. Okay. Do you have like an overarching... Uh, I guess, like if, if someone were to ask you what happened on the cross, yes, how would you like? What would you say? Like, what would your answer be? In yeah. that? I would say that 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 the sacrifice of Christ was restorative entirely. 
It wasn't okay. just about sin. It was right. about it was about God's original intent for creation. Okay. It was redemptive in all things, in the now and the not yet. Mm-hmm. I believe there is a definitive line between the before and after the cross that we are still living out the, the, making the echoes of. New. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and so I would and look at also, it as... also, he was the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Right. So these are things <laughs> right. planned, like this, This, like Nate is saying. Is this, was not pl- this was B? not plan B. No, this Wait, was not plan B. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Heresy. You guys sound like Calvinists now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> no. Genesis 3.15? They're Calvinish. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're a little Wesleyans. We're, are, are we're I know. I'm just. Yeah. I'm just. There, I'm Joshing you. Yeah. Wesleyan would have looked at himself as a continuation of Calvinist theology. Right. So that's yeah. what I grew up in. Wesley Here's, was very highly regarded by Spurgeon and other right. people like that. So. They liked each other. Yeah. But, he was fire breathing. Some of these things a little yeah. more open handed. Yes. and not. We okay. don't close the loop quite as hard on yeah. one aspect of the atonement. Yeah. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna admit to you now and. You're going to get more pushback from us on probably the theological aspects well, of this. Well, that's great. As opposed that, to yeah. the philosophical. Right. right. Yeah. Because I think philosophically we would agree more than... And again, I'll be it's the not resident a, it's heretic. Not a, no, it's not, a, it's not a right or wrong. It's just... Unlike again, Calvin, we will not right. have you burned. <laughs> that's oh. right. That's right. Give me my third baptism. But that's the other thing, too, is, again, this is one of the things I love, because this is family table discussion. Right. Yeah. We don't point Absolutely. to each other Absolutely. and say, oh, well, you're a heretic, you're this, this, that. No, like... We believe in the essentials of the right. faith. We believe in the redemption of Christ and f- grace through faith alone, period. Amen. Like That yeah, is amen. absolutely factual and foundational. But this is family discussion stuff, yeah, yeah, which yeah. I love. Yeah, the Thanksgiving That's right. table argument. We're the, we're the weird cousins <laughs> or uncles that are going at it for no reason. Yeah. So, Sir. wolf spiders. Even within the context of, of you, like you, you know, uh, Christ's redemptive work on the cross has a lot of different uh, aspects which the writers of Scripture leverage. I believe was your word. Yes, um, that that still allows for what Brad was saying about Hebrews there to still apply to govern to, to 100%, the state. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah, I hear and, what you're and saying. I, and I, I do want to make a distinction there between government and the state. Yes, it could be. Right. It could be applied. Yes, right. I see that. So I want to make a distinction there between government and the state because when when Brad and I say the state, we're talking about a a central monopoly on governance. Yes. Right. So yeah, because and, that's and, a service that can be decentralized. And back to yes. the Hebrews point. So when I brought up a substitutionary view of the atonement, right? Yes. You said your view is more multifaceted. Yes. Right? Would that include the the substitutionary nature of that? Like Christ is suffering on our for our sins on our behalf and and applying His righteousness to us. De- depending on how far you take that. Okay. Yes. Okay. Could but you go into we, explain that? We don't go quite as far as most Reformed traditions. Yes. Okay. In that. Yes. Yeah, that's fine. So yeah, and so and all my because the reason it gets I said into, that it gets into who did. It gets into who did he pay, like yes. paid paid for our sins, and and as you narrow that down, it's like right. okay, so he paid our sins. Did he pay God? Did he pay the devil? Did right. who's who's he paying in the substitutionary atonement? That right. That starts to yeah. Yes. Depending how far. Well, my the, view would be satisfied God's wrath right through and paid the the we the were ransom. we were prisoners, you know, bound for damnation, mm. and God paid our bail essentially but like ransom in that to himself but then becomes problematic because in what wrath do you do that 
What do like you mean if you it? are if you are completely wrathful, what? we're getting all into the yeah, weeds. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I keep trying to bring it back to what I was saying. I'm so sorry. So no, it's fine. Let's just go back to why the state is bad. Let's move on. Let's move on. Well, my point in saying that, right? That's why we're stopping just short. we were talking about Hebrews, right? And and you push back, and I said that okay. Well, in Hebrews two, he links yes Christ and and his brethren. Yes. Right. So you know, essentially, Christ suffered on the cross cross on behalf of them. So whether you call that um, Christ was chastised, disciplined, whatever, that's, maybe that's not even fully the point of what yeah. I'm making, but it's, it's essentially more my point is that God is using these means to accomplish his ends, right? Yes. Not that the, those means are <clears throat> holy, in, or the, the means, the secondary means, the people doing it, the wicked people it calls them. Yeah. It's not saying those wicked people are good. So tribulation itself doing. is refining no matter where it comes from. That's yeah. that's one of the Yeah, things. I'd say that's I'd a good point. That's you could also echo that with James chapter 1, right? Take, right. take joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. For it's right. all over the New Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, and right. again, and I, and I look at that, yeah. and we are sharing in his suffering. Yeah, in, totally. In that, and that's where I would go to with that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to get off in the weeds No, there, no, no, I love the weeds. <laughs> yeah, Brad lives for the weeds. We all do. That's the problem. Yeah. So <laughs> We're theology nerds. When, when I came up through the Anabaptist tradition, there was a lot of two kingdoms mentality yeah. Yeah. in that. And, and there's a kingdom of this earth, and there's a kingdom of heaven. And being and non-resistance people we, demanded that. We Not are pacifists, right. non-resistance. Non-resistance. And, and a lot of... That's kind of where I'm at. Honestly. A lot of Mennonite tradition has has now become a little bit more in the pacifist vein, but it was historically a lot more non-resistant. Two kingdoms. We are not citizens of. We are citizens of heaven. Uh, we are not citizens of this world, right. and so that Could, was. And I and, would. And so. And I would still have some agreement with that personally they, in a loyalty sense. Right. Like and, I am loyal to the yeah. kingdom of God first. Totally. And traditionally, uh, from the Anabaptist tradition, Anabaptists would not serve in government. They would in not. Any way. They would not vote. They would not swear. Right. No police. They would not. Yeah. They they would not serve as police officers. They would not Maybe serve I'm in an government. Anabaptist. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Maybe I can convince Maybe you. Maybe I. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, all the revolutionary Anabaptists got killed off early on. Yeah. So we Which is its own whole. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. It's not that the arguments won. They just killed themselves. They're all off. dead. <laughs> no. Um, so it, could you firepower? Could you um, real quick just give a quick uh, differentiation of non-resistance and pacifist in that yeah. context? Um, as, as I understand and the way I'll frame it, uh, just simply, pacifist is a lot more activist in what you're doing. In other words, a, a non-resistant person, if you strike them, they will not strike you back oh, okay. in any area. Like they probably would not sue you. They probably would not, uh, there, there would be no uh, vengeance or retribution or anything like that. A pacifist so is no saying, self-defense is at saying, all. Hey, None. uh, okay. I want to make sure you don't have a gun and I want to lay my body down in front of a tank. And oh, okay. I want to like, we're going to get a little bit more activist. There's an activist, like we need to beat the, the, the swords into plowshares. Yeah. And, Fight the power. Yes. Yeah. And it, and it's, a, <laughs> so, and, and it's a little bit in, just how I experienced it, um, some of that stuff was starting to come out. Even <laughs> my wife in a Anabaptist tradition ended up at a protest for a nuclear power plant. Now, I don't know Four? what that was <laughs> about, but it was more like, 
uh, nuclear is bad or something. I don't know. But they it, it leads into... A nuclear into, bomb plant. And this is a real story. You'll have to ask her about it. It was part, <laughs> of, a brethren, it was part of a brethren thing, which is Anabaptist. Should have seen Nelson's face. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm like, <laughs> it just seems wild, but that was like 2001 or, or so. It was it was one of those Space times. Odyssey. <sighs> uh, and also the year I was in 11th grade. Um, but, but what... There was several verses that changed my view on government and coming up through that. One of the things that I sat down and went through the New Testament just looking at, and it was only for the sake of time that I just went through the New Testament, but how did Christians relate to government? And I was pulling out all those passages and looking at this early on when I'm like 15, 16, 17, and I got to Romans 13, verse 4, and it says... For he is, and this is in King James, for he is the minister of God mm-hmm. to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that do evil. And my little brain went, so Christians can't be a minister of God? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm whacked out by that. Like, uh, Oh, all Christians I'm like, can't serve in God? Yeah, because oh, yeah. I was like, if you're going to be completely non-resistant, you wouldn't bear the sword. It's We're against solid, the death penalty. Yeah, that's... And I'm like, I'm reading this and he's like, he's the minister of God. And I'm like, yeah, but God ministers through his people. And so here he's using what I assume is a, is a secular leader, but why couldn't a Christian, what happens if you get converted? What happens when Caesar right. becomes a Christian? We find out later in history, what happens mm-hmm. if Caesar converts, but it's like, what? Crusades. <laughs> that's later. That's oh, much that's later. Much later. <laughs> Great schism. <laughs> there is some schism, yes. But it, it's one of well, those. Well, Cornelius was one of the things you pointed out. Cornelius was another yeah, one. And totally. and what 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 <laughs> for some reason came to my mind is they didn't ask Cornelius to quit his job. I yeah. think he went to work on Monday. Yeah. And that's and 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 the jailer that they experienced. God's deliverance in jail, the bonds fall off, Paul and Silas are, are celebrating, and the jailer gets converted in his whole household, and I think he went to work on Monday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was just now, like, there's nothing in here saying that Cornelius had to stop being a centurion or that uh, God's minister of wrath can't be a Christian. And so however, my whole paradigm started yeah. to shift, and so today... When I when I like we did this morning with yeah. veterans, people that have served, I wholeheartedly celebrate that. I have friends that are judges, that are police officers, and I a hundred percent believe that they are doing the Lord's work when they're in church and when they're at work and whatever they're doing, they're doing it for the Lord. Yeah. And that he co-labors sure. with us in our occupation. So I that for me was paradigm shifting and that might not no, have that's anything great. to do with no, what it, we're doing. No, that's really great. That. But uh, So would Cornelius, um, when he went back to work on Monday, have gone on to persecute God's people if, if ordered to? So um, when Jesus encounters a centurion himself, he looks at that centurion and says, nowhere in Israel have I found such great faith. And yeah. what he was talking about was that man's expression of how he understood authority. And he says, you don't need, you are a man of great authority. You, you can just say the word and I'll be healed. And 
He's like, because I tell someone to go and they go and I tell him to come and he comes. He recognized the authority he held. He looked at Jesus and said, you hold this level of authority. And Jesus like, that's faith right there. Yeah. And so I think Cornelius was that type of centurion. When he went back to work on Monday, he understood the power that he had. But yeah. it, it's one of those things that we don't know. We're not given some of that, and a lot of that is conjecture. How would Cornelius behave? I don't I don't know. There... Presumably, because he was saved, his loyalty right. had shifted. Yeah. Right. Like, he like has he now a different had ultimate loyalty. Essentially, th- this was his top authority with Caesar before. Right. Now it's... But yeah. we see we see Christ. that even with Paul in prison, there are clearly yeah. prison guards that are helping him get letters out, that are caring for his needs, letting people come in and right. help him. And so even people within Rome in violation of the state though. In in probably right? in violation probably. of the state. I mean it's I would assume that's not I would assume that they they had laws against helping people in prison if you're a prison guard. (coughs) Paul had favor on even the prison ships where he's giving orders to ship captains. Actually, that was fairly typical up until very recently in history in terms of prison. Yeah, (laughs) prisons, again, prisons is an interesting thing because it's, it's not... What we think of it as now, in terms of United States correctional facilities and those yeah. kind of things, not at all similar. It was it was it was incumbent upon whoever was in prison to take care of their own needs. It was expected that your friends, your family, your acquaintances would would bring, even early in the United yeah. States. That's what it was. Like yeah. you think, like during Salem witch trials, for example, the expectation was your family's going to bring you bread. Your family's going to pay for your your prison yeah, stay. Like your it water was wings. not. They didn't take care. There was no socialism in prison. I heard a case recently listening to Murray Rothbard's Conceived in Liberty that there was a lawsuit against a man. Great album. He was expected. (laughs) It's it's such a good book. It's a banger. It slaps. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, this guy was being sued by the state uh, and he was expected to pay for his own punishment and he refused to pay. And so they couldn't punish him. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's a reverse no Uno card. They, they had no money to punish yeah, him. So, so he just left. He just reverse punched. Uno I'm carded leaving. them. That's awesome. I'm just leaving. Um, so so I, I think kind of what Brad was getting at is if you are Cornelius and you are now saved, right? We're talking about your, your friends and family within church who are Christians but also serve in, in, this, in the state. Right. Uh, you have a responsibility to serve in a way that's going to glorify God in whatever you do. Right? So if you work for the state, how then do you serve the state in a way that glorifies God? I my personal, I don't think that's impossible. For my personal just conviction is that it is. Yeah. My personal conviction is you can't have two masters. If you're serving the state, it requires a level of fealty and devotion that is idolatry. Well, what I'm that's, saying is like, but but I know I don't expect everybody to share that conviction. What I do expect though is that if you're a Christian working for the state, you wouldn't violate your conscience. In that, which is agorism. Yes. Right. So that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's impossible to be in a position, right? And and yeah, to... you guys would make great Anabaptists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, actually, so you were talking about the difference there between pacifism and non. Uh, that's how I frame it non- between pacifism and non-resistance. It makes sense in my head. I don't. One of my speak favorite. No, that was helpful. I, one of my favorite uh, anarcho-capitalists, also a Christian, is Robert Murphy, hmm. and he's he is a hardline pacifist, but he also believes in gun rights, self-defense, self-defense, too, right? all that. So, 
Whoa. Like, he, he believes not. That, was, he one believes of, in that not. was one of the hotbed arguments. You want a classic uh, Anabaptist argument? It's like somebody breaks into your house with intent to do your family harm. Yeah. You are a hunting. You have a hunting rifle because you're, yeah, you know, you because you're rural, like all yeah, Anabaptists. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, not you all. Don't hunt, but man. You, you, ha- you happen to have a hunting rifle. Do you shoot this person or not? Right. Uh, and and, and I'm, I'm a pacifist and I get this a lot. So I don't answer that question. I don't. Because it doesn't matter how you answer it. They always just up the stakes more and more and more until they get <laughs> yeah. the answer that they want. Right. Which is, yeah, I, I shoot the guy. Uh, it's, it's a bad faith argument. I shoot it's, the guy and I track down experience. the rest of his family. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so no, what I do is I go to his house and I blow up the house. I'm a pacifist. And then I lock them all in there and I say, you can't leave. And then when they try to leave, I say, oh, this is insurrection. <laughs> well, so. Bob would say he's a pacifist in relation to like aggression. Right. Initiating force. Yes. Not in resolving force. So with, that's right. I was yeah. in the youth group in which this was asked and everybody went and him hauled around. And I said, I would shoot for center mass. <laughs> is what I said. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and and because people were like, oh, I maybe like shoot him in the leg yeah. or like no, fire you a get, warning you kill shot. Him. What and, the heck? And I was the only one that was like that was honest. I will shoot for you center forfeit mass. your right to life. And I'm you, like, yeah. and furthermore, all you women around this circle, all these men just said <laughs> they that they wouldn't defend, defend you. you. Yeah. Dude, and savage. I'm like, I don't know why you're with them. <laughs> I don't get it. You're all familiar I, with I the non-aggression to, principle. I hang on. I have to Go tell. Ahead. I have to tell. I don't know that I said it in those words, but that last yeah. part was said in my head. Yeah, that's pretty that, brutal. That last part I could was, believe you said was that. Was in my head. I I I, I, I agree. I I said I, I did say I would shoot for center mass, and I did say something about. And I don't understand why you other guys wouldn't. I, I think it was more something see, like that. Yeah. But so in my because, head, it was way more brutal. Because I did not come from a pacifist slash non-resistance <laughs> tradition, this discussion never happened. However, when I was 14, <laughs> we were having a discussion where our youth pastor asked all the guys, what's the first thing you notice about a girl or a woman? And they're all, oh, her smile, her eyes. They're giving all these sappy answers. And you said I'm center just, maths. I'm just sitting here. <laughs> I, I, my answer, I'm sitting here, I'm watching all these guys, and I finally stand up, the senior, the, the senior fun. pastor's son, and just stand up and go, it all depends on which direction she's walking. And I sat back down. And that was it. And I'm like, yeah. this was a similar moment for me and Sheldon about yeah. completely different See, things. See, I, I think we just, we don't want a monopoly on violence. We want right. free market competition of violence. Of right. violence, that's right. Well, unironically, yes. Uh, so... I, I know that we're all familiar with the non-aggression principle, but that's the fundamentals of, yes. of pacifism, right? Is I don't have the right to initiate force. Right. Now, in certain traditions of pacifism, or, they uh, might... Aggression. Mm-hmm. Because for, it could be like theft or something like that, right? Sure. Response sure. to theft. I, I don't have the right to initiate aggression. And, yeah. and this is something that's unpopular with some libertarians, but words can... Words aren't violence, but words can be aggression. Yeah. Right? For sure. Lies like, about you. Right? False like pe- witness. People right. can provoke you to violence with their words because they are being aggressive with their language. Or your face right yeah. now. Right. My face, very aggressive face. <laughs> I can't make you me. feel anything. No. No. And How uh, you feel as a response to what I've said is a you thing, not a me thing. I agree with that. I No, I agree. But you and I both know that you can say things to provoke people. Yes. Provocation is a real thing. Yes. Is what he's saying. And you can communicate aggressively. I mean, you can threaten people. Yes. You yeah. can say things that that would 
in me that would be very difficult to not get an actual physical response. You if I say something and get them fired. Like I call you on the phone and say, I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to kill you and your wife. That's aggression. <laughs> yes. And I haven't done anything yet. But I'm not going to come find you. But the minute you show up on my lawn, you're not going any further. Right, right, right. Like that, that, and, is, that is two different things. And, totally. And, and so the non-aggression principle is just that nobody has the right to initiate aggression. And once aggression has been initiated, return of aggression is justified. Yes. And often that's going to include force. And, and the threat. And. So how do we get talking about pacifism and non- Because this is tangled up in <laughs> that. Because it's tangled up in the whole conversation of pacifism. Oh, Sounds government. like we all agree government. on this. Right. <laughs> yes. But I, but it we, needs, we do agree on this. Not but, everyone agrees but on then this. But the, okay. then Interesting. the consistent application of that becomes, well, what then gives the state, which is a monopoly on the initiation so of many aggression- things. What gives it that right? I don't see anything in Scripture that Don't use unequal weights and measures. Right. Exactly. I don't see anything in Scripture that says you should have monopolized governance, and it is right that it has the exclusive right to initiate force. I don't see that there. Mm -hmm. Sheldon, you're looking at your phone. I assume you're pulling up Scripture. Because uh, no. if you have something, I would love My to. My son's going hunting. Oh, okay. and I need to send a permission. <laughs> center mass. <laughs> center mass. Yes, we're hoping he shoots for center mass. Um, now, I, I brought up Romans 13. There's also uh, Jesus. The other thing that I, I, as a Christian anarchist, hear a lot, even as a Christian libertarian, when I say taxation is slavery or taxation is theft, I hear people say, well, Jesus said pay your taxes. And that is true. Jesus did say. To pay the taxes. To turn the other cheek, but slapping someone isn't righteous to right. do, right? Right. Yeah. Now, when it talks about paying taxes, this is what we do in the face of oppression. Because which, which one are you talking about when Jesus said to pay his taxes? When they, they, they try to trap him, him and yeah. they come and ask him, hey, you know, are we supposed to pay taxes to Caesar? And then he says, yeah, he get the holds up to the Caesar. coin. Yeah, oh, yeah. I thought maybe you were talking about the, the fish one where he pulls the coin uh, out we'll, of the fish. I'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that one too. So Because that was the temple tax. Yeah. Right. Okay. Just and, to be clear. And actually, the word there, it, taxes are best word for it in English, but it wasn't tax in the same way right. of... Uh, like and, and Jesus's objection to the temple tax was different than his objection to the right. Caesar thing. He was like... You don't know who you're asking, right? So people all the <laughs> time will say that was the whole thing with the temple tax. People it's say my that house. The reason that we pay taxes is it says give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and I say no, that's not why we pay taxes. We pay taxes because in Romans 13 it says, and this is why you pay taxes. Yeah, <laughs> very clearly. Yeah. Yes. When Jesus says give to Caesar what is Caesar's, everybody seems to forget what he says right after that, yeah. <laughs> which is and give to God's what is God's. This is not a conversation about taxation. This is a conversation about a mago day. Right. And he, he used the fact that the that these uh, Jewish leaders who couldn't legally be touching this money had it on them to expose the fact that they weren't giving their lives to God. Right. There is there yeah. is cultural it, and context. The, the in what image was going of on Caesar there. was on the coin, and Jesus is talking about the image of right. God. That's, That's right. And in yeah. and in some ways, he was even saying to the extent like, if if you are if you owe Caesar something, because they had taken his coin. Right. Then you then you return to him. You return to, to him. him. Yeah. yeah. Right. Now I, I also find it interesting though, both of these passages, definitive language <laughs> is used about what will happen if you are disobedient to the government. However, you can also look at it, there's a bit of nuance there because it's not necessarily saying you must be or else. It's more of a warning, like for the times when you are not going to be loyal, there will be consequence. Yeah. And not saying that your disloyalty is immoral, 
or your disloyalty is necessarily wrong, but it will come with consequence. And I think that has everything to do with even that whole tying it into Jesus' persecution and Jesus' crucifixion. It's like, yeah, yeah. this was unjust, right. what happened to Jesus. But he also didn't back down from it. He continued to do the things that... And it was preordained by God to happen. So what it Once again, we could get into that <laughs> as well. Literally what Acts 2 said. Right. Peter said that. But there is... <laughs> Just saying. Anyway. Yeah, there's also nuance that there. That was essentially my that. point, though. I, but yeah, I'm so. not laughing that you said it. I'm laughing uh, at watching Nate's wheels start turning immediately of like... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the wheels are not turning because that statement Sorry, I don't want to be it argumentative. Just, no, 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 no. Again, it is it is your context, so I'm not yeah, going to yeah. have a problem with that. It's, it's the lens through which you view but it, it is not is the fine. But it is not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is this, this is not definitive. I'm commanding you to be obedient because... My wrath will be shown through this. No, it's when you are obedient to governing forces, this is what will happen. Yeah. When you are not, again, if you're looking at that, you're ultimately loyal in that same give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. If you are loyal to me, some of these things are going to happen to you because the governing authorities are not going to like it. You're going to be flying in the face of culture. You're going to be flying in the face of Right, essentially as a norms, covenant structure. All of those structure. things. Yeah, and so it's, it's not just a a finger-wagging warning, obey those in authority over you, but just know when the time comes and you're going to have to pick a side, things are going to happen to you. You will be persecuted unjustly. Right. And so I think that that those who would use this as purely a, you should always obey the government and anything else is is antithetical to Christianity. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's a warning that he's giving saying this this will happen. Like you will will feel the wrath of this. Yeah, and that's one of the things... I, I just talked to the youth group last week about um, obeying authority and, and what that means. Honoring authority is what yeah. it was. The, yes. the, it was talking about honoring authority. And at the end, I used Dietrich Bonhoeffer because, you know, I can't, I can't not go there. What happens when your authority is Hitler? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and th- yeah, it's one of those questions, but that was really what a pastor, theologian, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer ended up being a spy for the, in the Nazi government and and how in the world do you live out Christianity and at the end of it he's a pacifist had the opportunity to study under Gandhi a few other places he turns that stuff down to stay in Germany and do what he felt he had to do which was if if Germany wins if Ger- if if Hitler is allowed to do what he's done to the church Christianity in Germany will will cease to be a thing. It will be totally corrupted. And the only way for true Christianity to live on is for him to resist and Hitler. And that's yeah. that's how and, Christ Church has always spread and grown was right. through persecution right. and martyrdom. Right. Like Bonhoeffer said, Christ bids you come and die. Yeah. Right. You know, and the the yeah, that's just all I mean, the early church persecution. Like Christ Church seems to thrive under under, um, you know, pressure. Under pressure, yeah, and being subversive yeah. and things like that, yep. right? Like, like Christ, the church is so much healthier in, I would say, in like, in China in a lot of ways, yeah, than in America, yeah, absolutely, you know, right? Like they and not they have a true in faith. North Korea, where you just die instantly, right? Yeah, I mean, it, there's, there's there are Christians there, there are right. some there, yeah. but it is not near like. In China. Well, and that's just that's a good reminder that Christ's kingdom is uh, transcends all nation states, all yeah. borders. Yep. Like, 
and you, you our look, brothers though, are global and universe. You know, that's a good point of a government that would need to be overthrown for the church to thrive. Like that's one of those North the North Korean government. I mean, it's one of those things that stands in the way of a lot of good. So, so uh, let me go ahead, Sheldon. You so, First Peter. Two talks about some of this, and it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul and maintain good conduct among the non-Christians so that though they now malign you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. Be subject to every human institution for the Lord's sake, whether to a king as supreme or to the governors as those he commissions, to punish wrongdoers and praise those who do good. For God wants you to silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Live as free people, not using your freedom as a pretext for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor all people, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the king. Amen. Very amen. What's your question? It just speaks to that. No, it's great. It, it yeah. speaks to living, I, living good for, lives. I, I thought I was gonna because people no, was, read that often live as, as a uh, as an answer against anarchism. Yeah, and I'm that, like, that's one of the reasons I'm also bringing it up. Yeah. Okay. That's the, <laughs> so what's the question there? No, I, I think people bring it up at, because they say it begs the question. Like, if I'm supposed to fear God and honor the King, I'm supposed to be subject to every human institution. How do I then? go about throwing those things off to the point that we have them no more. Yeah, yeah. Well, non-violently to begin with. <laughs> non-violently, right? like yes. I, I, so I don't believe in violent insurrection, right? Right. And, and, and so that wouldn't be my answer. Same. And so I, I... Brad doesn't share my conviction for political advocacy, but I spend a lot of time... Uh, you know, I get I get paid for it, uh, but I also do it in my off time. I do it for free. Don't don't tell my boss, uh, but I also do it for free sometimes. Try to convince people that less loss is more better. And it's, it fell off the truck. Yeah, <laughs> so, some less boss, loss yeah. is more better fell off the truck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't tell my boss. <laughs> and, and so, I would never advocate for, you know, uh, insurrection. I do personally struggle with a lack of honor uh, for those in political leadership over me, and I know that everybody at this table does. Oh, yeah. Um, it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. Right? But it, that's my sinful nature, right? Yeah. Like, that's, uh, that's not an... Creeping up. I think it's a love for justice to some degree. Well, there's degree. that, too. I, I don't... So no, I, I don't I, I'm speaking for myself. I don't yeah, disagree. No. <laughs> I don't disagree, but, but I know that the way I speak about people in political authority over me often does not show them honor. Yeah, the impulse is not bad, but the sometimes right? the and way we... My, the reason I feel this way, the reason I feel that way <clears throat> yeah. is justified, but that doesn't mean that the way I the, spoke about so it honors the, them. The struggle, one of the things that that's I, where I, yeah, I do... Or just honors God. One, one of general. the things that I yeah. talked about when I was talking about honoring authority with, with the youth group is I was like, you, you see somebody that's suffering injustice, and what Martin Luther King did was stood up there and held his current government to a larger principle mm -hmm. and said, you know, all men are created equal. That's in our founding document, and it isn't being lived out mm -hmm. by the current government, government society, whatever. And, and he basically was calling those in authority back to founding principles. And I think a lot of times... It is not dishonoring to call 
leaders and those in authority over you back to what they are responsible to. It's what the prophets that's, did all throughout. Yeah, that's the not right. that's not dishonoring. Right. right. And there and there is an honorable way in which to do that. And honor actually keeps you from being punished for stupid reasons. Yes. If you want to get punished for stupid reasons, be dishonoring. Yes. yes. If put you a, want to get punished for righteousness, be yeah. honoring and call them back to higher principles, and they may punish you, but at least you were punished for being for doing right. 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 And, and you were maintaining a position of honor because that's what First uh, Peter 2 is talking about in, in winning others who at this time might call you wrongdoers. Right. Right. It's honor that changes that. Mm-hmm. And so I yeah. do push back a little bit on saying, I, I, I speak about them in ways that are dishonoring. I think it's important in all of this to honor our current authorities. Yeah. It is important to do that. And and if if Bonhoeffer hadn't paid lip service to somebody, he was not in well, the position to get close to it. And, and my, and my lack of honor is not due to my anarchism. I've always I've well, always spoken irreverently about people in political authority. Right. But here's the thing that's funny is at its base, and this is where I get into where, where we're talking about some of the scriptural backings for some My of these inner things. Martin Luther. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Not the king one. Oh, which no. we just passed Reformation Day not that long ago. So, yeah. you know, happy late Reformation Day. Yeah, but today, remember, remember the 5th of yes, November. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Hey. Guy Fox Day, baby. Yes. The gunpowder treason and plot. So, so here's, which he was Catholic. So... Those things were probably linked hey, this, somewhere. This, this is no well. I'm so glad we're so, recording that's this. That's yeah. super <laughs> weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is great. So I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgotten. No, well, no. What's so that? Here's, here's one of the things that gets into into cultural issues. I thought you weren't against violent over. You weren't. For that's why I said disavow. Over. Just because I don't engage in it doesn't mean I don't think it's incredibly based. <laughs> <laughs> Based in explosion pill. Oh man. Uh, so if the, you're wondering violent, what we're talking about, just watch V for Vendetta. The yes, violent yeah. anarchist would argue that because the state is a coercive initiation of aggression, it's all they self-defense. Are, yeah, they, it's all self-defense. I don't share that opinion. Antifa literally says that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I don't share that. What opinion, a bunch of knuckleheads but that is, those guys are. That, that is, and it's. I don't think that that's mental gymnastics either. I I think that that's. It makes sense from yeah. their what they're saying, their yeah. position. Yeah. So so here's my thing is. They're not Christians. When, the when you're getting into the cultural issues of this, this is where it gets complicated to me because I understand what you're talking about and, and using these, these biblical references to talk about what governance should and should not be. Right. Writers of Scripture, and this will get into the issues of how we view uh, the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture, which we are going to disagree on. That's just going to be different uh, do we believe it's inerrant? Yes. Do we believe it's inspired? Yes. Those words are going to mean different things to the four of us around this table. Right. But the cultural context... I only read the King James Version. Yes. Well, Good for you. Yes, good for you. Is it the 1611 one, though? Of course. Okay, good, good, good. Because then you have Apocrypha. That's yeah. right. Now you right. Got, it was the Queen a, James Version. <laughs> that's a whole other discussion, the trans right there. James, the trans it James It is. Version. It's a real okay. thing. Oh, it's not. Anyway, yeah. anyway. Oh, my gosh. But, but, but the cultural thing that you look at is, is like these people, the writers of Scripture, you could say maybe that that God parted the veil and allowed them to see all things that were coming. They had no context whatsoever in terms of governance, in terms of politics, in terms of anything that remotely resembles what a modern state is, let alone the United States itself. That's one. Well, of the, they weren't unfamiliar with empire. 
But Bumps. that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about what what Nelson thinks it becomes. I'm talking about I'm talking about again. I guess <laughs> I'm talking about though basic principles like involvement in government, any kind of say in government whatsoever. Even the illusion of say in government did not exist. Mm-hmm. Like didn't exist then at all. Yeah. And and it's even funny to me because I, I'm like. You're speaking in a very particular cultural context mm-hmm. about certain things mm-hmm. and trying to pull those forward when I don't necessarily see those as these are not like sin issues. These are not moral imperative issues in the same way that as a Christian, here's how you live your life. Mm-hmm. So for, for me, right, like I can't speak for Nelson on this, but, um, you know, he, he mentioned that <clears throat> we, we have slight disagreement on the value of like political action. Yeah, like yeah. I don't really pay a lot of uh, put a lot of stock in it, right? My concern is more how we as Christians think about our relationship to God and to the state, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, do we um, give a pass to evil action? You know, things like that. Uh, like, do we call evil good because it's done by the state? God says, "Woe to anyone that does that." Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, so for me, that's the, the more important thing, right? How do we how do we just view our relationship in general to it? My my goal is not to, um, you know, same as Nelson, not to overthrow the government, not to you know even escape the regime necessarily. I might if it gets bad enough at certain yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, to another regime, which is biblical, <laughs> right? Like you know, with the Olivet discourse, he tells people to run for the hills. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a thing. So, um, and they did, very and they did specific, specific yeah. thing, yes. But yeah, but and it's biblical to to run if you know if you know if you're threatened, you know. I if don't know you, if you're in Jerusalem in seventy A.D. That's yes. right, and yeah. they did because that's what that was about, and it worked. <laughs> yes, yes but, the, but they, they were, were not were, wrong to but do there that. Were basic, but there were based principles that were there. Right. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Based principles, based as yeah. well. Yeah. So again, uh, my biggest my biggest concern is is when I see. Um, you know, like like I have a lot of friends who are I would consider you know more, more a lot more statist than me. Yeah, you know yeah. more. Um, you know, they're Christians. They're more nationalist kind of things, and you see them uh, supporting things that I don't think they should be supporting or mm-hmm. vocally. You know, like for example, a politician who openly hates God and and in flagrant violation of all His law, they are emphatically supporting him, or you know. Um, and they justify it. And they justify it. Or yeah. justifying um, bombing civilians as collateral damage yeah. intentionally. Things like that, right? Well, like, like one of the most evil things that you'll hear Christian yeah. Americans say is, kill them all, let God sort it out. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and, and that's more of just a tongue in cheek kind of Tongue in cheek ridiculousness. But I think it's vile. Too. I think I it's, have yeah. seen here's that the, on t shirts. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But here's the thing, horrific. too. Here's the thing, too. I think there is a bit of an ivory tower aspect to things like what you're saying about the targeting or the killing of civilians or whatever. There are situations that are absolutely intentional targeting of civilians in warfare, hundred yeah. percent. And everybody would agree. Well, that's what vile. I'm saying is, that but I, I don't want Christians to justify that because the state did it. No, and no, say no. That's but, a, that we have to support it because, but we're under the authority of the state. But. That's I do look at this from the perspective of in any kind of conflict, collateral damage is a factual reality of life. There is not a single 
any kind of conflict. I don't care if this is tribal warfare. I don't care what you're talking about. Your Whether parents argue your the kid will be traumatized. Right. Yeah. There is there well, is no such thing. It's like a whole battalion of soldiers moves in and grabs somebody's house. Right. And, and displaces and forces someone. them to feed them. Right. And all of but a sudden is... the opposing army hits that house. The family that lives there dies. That's collateral damage. That's a civilian. And, but, and, what it, and my it, only reason yeah. for making this point is that I don't ascribe to the, the, the pure, like, oh, well, if we did this, the, like, there is no right way. Like, there, in, in warfare, like, there is no right way. There are more evil than others. So, so I will say that. But it is, it, is a, it, is a, it is a result of the fallen nature of the world. And so it will have all of those aspects right, to but, it. But we don't we don't justify nor glorify sin, it. Right? No, That's absolutely not. Like like in Proverbs, I think thirty. What's one of the six things it says God hates? It says the hands that shed shed innocent, innocent blood. blood. Right, right. right. Hates it. Right. It's an abomination to God. Right. Like it's, it's, you know, I don't. That's what I am concerned with. Yeah. Um, you know, in in my view of anarchism, or or you know, however we we characterize it, um, I just want Christians to. Apply their morals, uh, their their biblical moral views consistently mm-hmm. across the board. That that's that's my main concern. Yeah, I hear here. that. It's not political, even necessarily. It's more of a theological, yeah, hundred percent moral view in yeah. a sense. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. Nelson, Nelson is a little bit more. Well, I, I was going to appeal to. Uh, tradition, because the Wesleyans at the table, there we like. There we go. We, we like, love yeah. this. We love solo scripture. We also like the other two legs of the stool, and one of them is tradition, and yes. uh, a very important part of Christian tradition that came out of Christian thought. In oh, I I couldn't tell you the year. I'll, I'll almost certainly get this wrong. Old is school. Just war theory. Yes. Uh, yeah. And okay. Anselm, I believe. Is it Anselm? I don't recall. I don't recall. That sounds correct. I don't recall. But the most important aspect that I want to bring out about Just War Theory is that uh, if we look through American history, when have we had one? No, I don't disagree. Right? And and that's... You could argue revolutionary. People would argue that. People would argue that. That's a good point. I don't don't see any justification for the Revolutionary War necessarily. I agree with that. It was... But that war was born in churches. I mean, it was... Huh? Pubs. Pubs. We same difference. Different place, <laughs> it was, I guess. Both things. It, it was definitely yeah. spread. <laughs> Nazarenes have come a long way. But my, my other, but my other thing that I look at with the revolution is it was not. Yeah. It's always funny to me because of the we degree, weren't around back then, right? The degree to which the degree to which the colonists were the underdog. Yeah. They were literally taking on the greatest power in the entire which world. Which luckily right. was distracted with a war with Spain. Yes, and um, France helped. Too. Empire. Yeah, works out. Yeah, so. I, I'm sympathetic to the arguments of, like, if, if self-defense is justified in a one-on-one case and we give the state the right, the, the assumption that it has a right to what it does, then the state acting in a way that might have collateral damage would be justified in a self-defense manner. Yes. Okay. I'll grant you all that. I'll put my, my, my anarchist assumptions aside. In American context, they would have uh, argued that's what the militia is for. Right. Decentralized, but he, so I'll put my anarchist assumptions about the legitimacy of the state aside and its right to do that in the first place, and we just look at the the argument on its own. Yes. I don't think it lives up to the Christian tradition of just war theory. Yes, I would and, agree. And and so even on its face, even if we say, well, they had to do it, we as Christians have a responsibility to say, no, we didn't. Mm-hmm. 
that's my yeah, two cents. Yeah, I hear you. So I hear you. Yeah. So I mean, as far as the Revolutionary War, once it started and the British are showing up and doing what they're doing to the colonists, I I definitely see a self-defense aspect yeah, there to was, going out there. There and was no, your homes yeah, there was no relenting totally. insight right. on that. At, yeah. at, as as the war begins, I, I just don't see a biblical concept as a pretext for war of saying like, here here's my license to go to war with the crown. Like right. I I just don't see it. But like once that taxes. war is begun, Which is I don't, I don't necessarily fault anybody from a self-defense perspective. And, and you know. That's, I, and that's where Brad and I say, you know, the Antifa view of uh, I'm self-defending against the course of state. We don't think that that holds water. Right. Right. So, so I'm going to come back. We're, and we're, interestingly, we're the people, way over the, time. Pe- the people that are most offensive about the revolutionary war being justified often think that Antifa is not justified in what they're doing. That's but, pretty funny. But yeah. it's the exact same logic, with with different principles at its base, yes. But the logic to get to where you're going, yeah. absolutely, 100. percent I see what you're saying. It's a good point. So here's here's something I want to do. We're 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 well beyond what our normal time is. We usually clock in at about an hour. Yeah. We're almost at two. Nice. At two. We're getting right. close to two. We're knocking. And we're on just the door. getting warmed up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we tried DMT. So. so <laughs> <laughs> but here's my question, and this one's no. Nelson. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to you for this one. Okay. Because this was this was one of the biblical points you made, and and obviously we can go to this in any direction. But when you talked about the system of judges, all the things of ultimately coming to the high priest, Sheldon made a passing point that I would like to sit on for a minute. In your view, you see that as this is what God set up to be the system of governance. He ultimately being the authority, the king of the children of Israel, high priest representing on his behalf, and so on down through the judges. That whole thing ends with Eli and his sons. Why? Because they became corrupt. Even within that paradigm that you speak of, in the end, it led to corruption, which then led to, let's try something different, Let's let's try a king. Let's try these things. It it, it was a it, it's still corrupted. So this is where I look to what you're talking about in that idealistic sense, and where I would say, well, that is in a, in a perfect world. Yes, I can agree with you on that. But no, never, never, ever will it happen. Even biblically, it did not happen. So what is your answer? To that reality. We see this in scripture. We see this come. And it's not a long distance of time. I mean, there's a, a good bit of time. But it's not a huge distance before they look at this high priest and say, your sons can't do this. And even Samuel crapped out on his parenting skills because they looked at him and said, yeah, your sons can't do this either. We need a king. We need something that's going to work better than this. So what's your answer to that? Yeah. So the first answer. I'm going to give you two answers. Yes, sir. And the first one sounds like a cop-out, which is why I'm giving it first and then my other answer. Yeah. So the first answer is... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> first answer is, any justification for any sense, any structure of government has to be consistently applied to all structures of government. Okay. Okay? So everything you said, 100% true, also true of every other form of government we ever 100%. seen. 100%. Right? Uh, 
it's it's similar to when you hear people. Oh, you don't hear it. I hear it. You know, well, when has anarchy ever succeeded? And it's like, okay, well, when has democracy ever succeeded? Mm-hmm. Right. We look at democracies through history. All of them have eventually failed. The ones that currently exist haven't failed yet. Yes. So because that, they're more republics than just democracies, well, and okay, we're well, barely has, clinging to those. And even the republics, it's when been like two hundred years too, not even yeah. that long. In terms I know. Of and, and, and even the republics, right? All the republics have failed, and the failed republics eventually. that currently exist haven't Rome failed was yet. A republic. So that's that's the cop out answer, and I think it's legitimate. But I, I also do have a, an actual answer. Any form of government, because because I do fundamentally believe in freedom of worship. Any form of government has to also accommodate secular, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. It has to make allowance for. Right. Um, while I, I, I do believe that a, a decentralized network of judges up to a high priest is the best form of government, I think that that model works at a small scale. So it would be my personal preference to live in a community exclusively of Christians, ba- Amish without the trappings. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> I have no desire to live in this. That place. has its own problems that I could get into, but and, that's a whole different thing. And on Term and Hopper, right there. Yeah. So, <laughs> and not covenant to get, communities. Yeah, covenant communities. Hans Hermann Hoppe, who wrote "Democracy: The God That Failed," excellent book. He talks a lot about these idea of covenant communities. Basically, you enter into a legal contract before you join the community. Mm-hmm. You're there voluntarily. You abide by all the laws because you signed the contract that you will. And when if you choose that I'm not going to obey these laws anymore, that's fine. You can leave. The boundaries of this community are for people that are signing and keeping the contract. You just described a church. Yes. Essentially belonging to a church. Which is why I said (laughs) Amish without the trappings. Yep. Because they are a church. They're a voluntary association. Yes. Now, I'm not saying I want to be Amish. Amish have all kinds of problems, both theologically and in in the way that they handle... They don't know that they they do anything. Yeah. Yeah. That drives me nuts. Okay. (laughs) And so... Anyway. And so... A, a purely decentralized uh, judicial system, right? You're going to have secular judges yes. making this uh, private arbitration, which we have today. Basically, you just expand that private arbitration to handle all arbitration. Right. Okay? The, the arbiters or judges who do the best in that market are going to be whoever has the reputation of making the best judgments. Right. We all acknowledged early on in the conversation that due to natural law, or as in scripture says, law being written on our hearts, the judges that are going to succeed there are going to be the wisest judges who make decisions that best reflect God's law. Okay? Some of them might be Muslim. Some of them might be secular. Right. I'm going to choose personally, whenever possible, to go to the Christian one. Right. Okay? Which I am a firm believer in all truth is God's truth. It doesn't matter. And I don't mean that in the pluralistic way. I'm saying he owns it. Right. You don't get to separate that from him. Here's an exactly. interesting question. I, I also think Christian... that the judge that the judge that rules favorably for the rich people in the community would have plenty of money, money. as That's well. True. So the corruption is possible even so in a free market. Corruption economy. is possible in any. System. Yeah. Let, yes. let, let me let because me humans are involved. The let free market doesn't actually check that. Let me respond to that uh, with two things. First is the cop out answer of in our current right. system. The, the, the wealthy make out way better in the judicial system than anybody else does. Unequal weights and measures. Hmm. To S- a certain extent, yes. I would say they connect it connected even more than the to wealthy. To a massive extent. How much lawyers cost, for example? A good lawyer? Yeah. yeah. Now, but, but again, my, my point being, if the, if the political class decides <sighs> uh, that you're out, the 
it doesn't matter how much money you have, they're going to break you. Yeah, because they're they're the biggest dog. So it's connected more than anything else, I would say at this point. <laughs> yeah, but John McAfee be definitely yeah. killed so, himself. So yes. <laughs> The, but the second answer to that, beyond the cop-out of that's true of any system, the second answer to that is uh, you do not need centralized regulators to regulate market. We have free market regulation in all kinds of industries. Right. Right. Right? The, there's incentive within the market to have people say, hey, they're doing good. Hey, they're doing bad. Hey, there's some corruption here. Hey, there's corruption there. Hey, this is where you should be spending your money. And then there's going to be competition amongst those free market regulators, just like we see right now in all kinds of industries. What is it that's so special about deciding between individuals that it can't be done that way, considering, of course, that it already is, just not at scale? And, and more often than not, like with uh, corporate abuses, right, like in, in our current um, paradigm, you know, you uh, these abuses are not – uh, usually not exposed by the government, right? It's exposed no. by... In spite of. In yes. spite of the government, it's, and yeah. it's often found that there's... The it's a marriage of government with and industry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. Also, uh, these, these really interesting... agree on. When you... Government in bed with industry, there's a word for that. It's called monopoly. No, no. Well, <laughs> that is how they're created. Yes. Uh, it's, yeah. But also, no, there's a... It's a bundle a of sticks. Uh, it's in... Yeah. No, fascism. We were doing fascist. so well. I'm sorry. It is what uh, fascista means. Yeah. It's true. So, yeah, fascism, uh, Mussolini had another word he liked for it, which was corporatism, which is a word that we're very comfortable with in America, but we constantly misuse fascism. Yeah. Right? When you have fascism a- has more to it than just economics. I think that's why. It's a, it's a broader philosophy than merely sure, the economics. Sure. Yeah. yeah, but the, the, the fundamental economics it's of it are... It's based in socialism, usually. It's, yeah. It's gotten tangled up, but fascism is an economic ideology it is it's gotten tangled up with yeah, other things because of nazism yeah. but the the english word the best co- like explains the ideas of the original fascists to americans is corporatism yeah and that's not nearly the ugly word it should be in my opinion mm. like that that like that should make people hiss and spit. sounds like a euphemism yeah yeah almost but you know w- what is a corporation well Without a state, you can't have a corporation. Right. A corporation is a legal status that this entire entity, this entire collective, be treated as an individual. It's literally illegal to have a truly free market. Yes. Currently, yes. Because you have to register with the government. Yes. Right. Yeah, you can't. Which gets into the have monopoly any issue. part of them with so the government itself doesn't interact. As with I like to say to my communist friends, true capitalism has never been tried, <laughs> <laughs> or at least wasn't tried long enough. Yeah. yeah. So, so here's here's the thing. Ultimately, we've gone circles, and we're gonna wrap because, again, here we are. Two For hours the sake is, of time. is over our same, over our usually, same so. head. <laughs> yeah, my head with the same place. Um, this went places I didn't anticipate it would go, especially discussing uh, theological issues. But the minute I found out where we all were at, I knew that was going to come out. <laughs> that was not my anticipation doing this. But uh, I'm just gonna go like a quick few words, final thoughts, Sheldon. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have any final thoughts other than I really appreciate you guys yeah. trying to articulate this yeah. stuff. It is a Thanks little bit in the us. weeds, and it's a little bit out of the normal vein of our podcast, but I really appreciate you guys applying yeah. yourselves to that. I came in here hoping to just challenge and push back on some of those things, and it's been a delightful conversation. Yes. So. I agree. Brad? <laughs> I agree. That's all I have to say. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I have enjoyed Thank this immensely you. as well. Nelson, I would like to make 
Very specific book recommendations. Extra uh, next hour. Here we go. Hold on. There we go. If anything that Brad or I said is is something that people are like, I'd like to understand this a little bit better. Some really approachable Bible. books on this are Taxation is Slavery by Nick Watts, which is specifically Christian Defense for Libertarianism. Faith Seeking Freedom by the Libertarian Christian Institute, which is short answers to uh, big questions that people get asked about this. And then if you really want to kind of like get into the more uh, secular legal theory of it, Chaos Theory by Robert P. Murphy, which explores defense, policing, and arbitration in a free market. All right. There and, you go. And thank you so much for having us. Yeah, yes. thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's Absolutely. been enjoyable. Pleasure. And uh, Nelson, you still don't get a co-host tile for this. This is just not a thing. <laughs> I'm going to keep gonna coming back until it happens. <laughs> oh, All right. should give it to me just If to you want to hear him. more of my stupid opinions, uh, Silver Screen yes, Biases. Yes, plug it, man. Plug it all day long. We, we were guests on We've Silver been guests Screen on it. Biases. It is a lot of fun. It is so highly entertaining. Shelton's episode with his son, Rylan, is our second most I listened love, episode. Yeah, I love that episode. It was, good. It was a blast. Yeah, Ryland is a Star Wars machine, man. I, I mean, love that I the watched the entirely kid. wrong movie going into that. <laughs> oh man! Uh, All right, well, guys, I know this was a long one, but we're gonna not, we're not gonna cut this into two. We're just gonna let it be. Thanks for sticking with us, and uh, we will see you next week, I believe. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The things we say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.